us out here. So, all right. So let's pray about that real quick. Um, God, we lift this up to you, and we ask you to guide us and lead us in this. Lord, we we definitely need you. Um, just showing us what to do, how to do it. Lord, we, we've got to have your leading on this. We've got to have your, your hand in this and, and Lord, your favor. And um, this, this, um, this interest that's happening right now, Lord, you guide and lead. If it's not your will, just shut it off. If it's your will, then let that grow and continue to uh, progress. And we thank you for all of this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, Lynn, Josh, can you do me a favor? Go get my phone. Oh, no, no, I know where it is. I know where my phone is. It's right over here. Thanks, Josh. I forgot I used that. Um, I can't get my notes to update. Sometimes that happens. I don't know why. Yeah, they're not, they're not updating. All right. So there's a lot of stuff we're going to try to cover uh, over this, um, over this, uh, these next few weeks. I'm, we're, we're basically looking at um, Daniel. We're going over Daniel, all the stuff of Daniel. We've, we've gone up through Daniel 6 and what is wrong with my notes? No, I just changed that, but let me see if it did. Okay, this one, my phone's updated for some reason, but my iPad's not updating. All right, so we're going to go to Daniel 7. And um, we're going to try to get, my goal is to get to the end of um, verse 14 tonight, okay? Um, and we're just going to read through that. So go, go in your Bibles to Daniel 7. And before you do that, I mean, you do that, but before we talk about it, uh, I want to go backwards a little bit. Because here is when we talked about Daniel 2, um, whenever that was now, probably quite a few weeks ago now, we talked about Daniel 2, uh, I, I went with what is kind of what's considered the traditional way of looking at Daniel 2, okay? Tonight I'm going to, because we're going into Daniel 7, I want to go back to Daniel 2 and show you the way I look at Daniel 2. You say, well, why didn't you do that then? Because it would have opened up so much other stuff that we wouldn't have ever got to the end of Daniel 2. Now that we got through Daniel 2, we're going to go back to Daniel 2 and we're going to look at a few things that will help you see some of the um, eschatological stuff that's involved in Daniel 2. Okay? So you guys remember what Daniel 2 is about, right? The dream of Nebuchadnezzar and the statue, right? Okay? Um, so let me, let me jump down a little bit here 
And um, let's go, let's start with uh, the, um, let's start with verse 30. Um, let's start with verse 32. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver, its belly and thighs were bronze, its legs were iron, its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. Okay? Let's talk about that first. What what is the the kind of the traditional way of looking at those four things? Okay? And And Daniel explains that, by the way. So it's not, we're not guessing a lot on this. We're, but we're trying to fill in some gaps. This, this explanation of the statue is pretty clear to us, but there's, there's some gaps that, that don't uh, tell us everything. Okay? Um, now we'll tell you what it means, Your Majesty. This is verse um, 38. He has made you ruler over all the inhabited world and put, has even put wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. So the head of gold is who? Nebuchadnezzar, but what? Babylon. Okay, Babylon is the head of gold. This is, this is important. Follow, follow me with this. Okay? Um, but after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise to take your place. What kingdom is that? Medo-Persian. We know because Daniel was sitting there when it happened. Right? That's where the hand comes out and writes on the wall. And he goes, Daniel says, well, Nebuchadnezzar, tonight's the night it happens. And the Medo-Persian... Empire came and took over the Babylonian Empire. Okay? Now, who is Persia today? Iran. 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 Okay? All right. Um, After that kingdom has fallen, a third kingdom, represented by bronze, will rise to rule the world. Rome. That's the traditional way of looking at this. I don't think it's Rome. I don't think the bronze is Rome. Well, Rome, Greece, Greco-Roman. Um, Greece first, and then Rome is the, is the iron uh, that goes down into the toes. Okay? So, um, so yes. Greece is the third, the third. The Greece is the bronze. The iron is considered to be Rome, and that's what I don't believe. Okay? L- let me explain to you why. All right, following the kingdom will be a fourth one, as strong as iron. The kingdom will sm- this, that kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires. Just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. So we've got the Babylonians ahead, Medo-Persian, Greece, and then this fourth kingdom that comes along and destroys those other three kingdoms. If that is Rome, tell me when that happens. Does Babylon exist today? Does the Babylonian Empire exist today? Yes. Who is it? It's Iraq. Does the Medo-Persian Empire exist today? Yes. Who is it? It's Iran. They actually kept their same name, Persia, up until you know, a couple hundred years ago. Does Greece still exists today. 
Yes, people visit it. So when, when did Rome, when did the Roman Empire destroy these other three empires? Al? didn't destroy those empires. Those empires have fallen by the wayside. They're no longer of any effect. And the Roman Empire, which essentially took over the known world of the time, still has uh, political influence all over the world. So they exist sort of in tendrils. Okay. That's my, that's my argument. All three of these empires still exist. And they exist in different ways, different strengths but they were never totally destroyed. It says into nothingness. So here is the thing. In my opinion, that's not talking about the Roman Empire. So here's the question. Why would we say that that's the Roman Empire? Why is that the normal traditional way of looking at it? Because at the time when people were supposing that, that's where we were. Now, I know that I'm upsetting a lot of theological apple carts out there by saying this. This goes against like 90% of the theological teachers out there. But I don't agree that it's a Roman Empire because when it says that it destroys it into nothingness, that has not happened, then therefore that's not what has happened. Let's go further in case you're on the fence. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Okay. We're going to get to that. Don't rush me. Okay. And then he says, The feet and toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay showing that this kingdom will be divided. That, the, that this... If, if it's the Roman Empire, that this Roman Empire is going to be divided. There was, the Roman Empire moved into, um, well, basically the Roman Empire tried to move across the entire world. Alexander the Great came in, down through Israel and everything. But we don't see this, this exact division that's happened. Now, this is important. When you're looking at Scripture, it can't just kind of be close. God's not a kind of close kind of guy. He sp- explains things exactly, Okay. This mixture, this is verse 43, this mixture of iron and clay also shows that these kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves by forming alliances with each other through intermarriage, but they will not hold together just as iron and clay do not mix. And I've seen a lot of explanations over that of the years where um, Alexander the Great and, and um, well, the Roman kings that split into four and all kinds of stuff, and they try to use that later in chapter 7, but it just doesn't work. Okay. I'm, not, I'm trying to make sure I don't get ahead of myself. We'll get to that. We'll get to the iron and clay mix, okay, and how the, there's four kingdoms, ten toes. We'll, we'll look at all that, okay? Now look at here, verse 44. During the reigns of those kings, what kings? Babylonian, Medo-Persian, um, Greek, and the fourth one, which I'm going to tell you here in a second. Um. The, the God of heaven will set up kingdoms that will never be destroyed or conquered. Will set up a kingdom during those four reigns. Set up a kingdom. What kingdom is that? What is the only kingdom that will ever last forever? The, the kingdom of God. God's kingdom through 
Jesus Christ. Okay? Now here it is. It will crush all of these kingdoms into nothingness and it will stand forever. Now then he tells us who it is. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, not by human hands, that crushed to pieces, look at this, the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream and its meaning is certain. Now here's the thing seems to be missing. We read that. This rock, who, who is the rock? It's Jesus. The rock smashes on the feet of this statue. So the feet is the iron, the fourth kingdom mixed with clay. The rock smashes on the feet of the statue and destroys the entire statue immediately. That means the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, the Greek, and the Fourth Empire will all be smashed at the exact same time. That has not happened yet. We like to say, well, chapter 2 is all wrapped up and it's nice and finished and tight because that's the Roman Empire. And when Jesus came, you know, he destroyed. Except for the fact that even if it was the Roman Empire, it still hasn't all been destroyed. All of those kingdoms exist on the planet right now today. Do you think the, uh, the preterist point of view is wrapping up chapter 2 of Daniel? That's why, that's why they get that, it's, that from? It's not just, let me explain what he just said. The, pre, the preterist point of view, there's a futurist and a preterist. Preterist says everything in Daniel has already happened. It's not future. Um, then the futurist view, which is what I am, is that, that Daniel... But see, here's the thing, is they usually don't include Daniel 2 in the futurist view. Daniel 2 is already finished and done with. I don't think the preterist view is what is um, keeping Daniel 2 from being pushed forward. I think it's just because some prophecy teacher somewhere started this and they kind of just ran with it. And, and it makes... And it's nicer and, and cleaner if we just say, well, the Roman Empire was the, uh, the uh, iron, and it's all done. Preterist, the preterist view doesn't come in until Daniel 7. If Daniel 7 has already been completely fulfilled, that's the preterist view. Uh, Pat? Could it be both? Could what be both? Could it be both? What the preterist views and your view. Could it be both? Here's what I think happens with... Well, we see this happen oftentimes through Scripture. Through okay? prophecy. We see a, a prophet say something, and we see that unfold at different times in history beforehand. But the prophetic value hasn't actually been fulfilled. Okay? Um, part, of where I, I'm gonna, part of where I know Pat's going with this is there, there are two major... There's actually like five views of history, but the view as we jump into Daniel 7 and into Daniel 8, some of that stuff was fulfilled in a way by what I would call a, a pre-Antichrist or a false Antichrist, okay? Alexander the Great fulfilled um, a lot of what happens in Daniel 7. 
Antiochus Epiphanes fulfills a lot of what happens in Daniel 7. But they're not complete. They're not the real Antichrist. They're a precursor to the Antichrist. Satan does the same thing with the Antichrist that, he tried, that, G, that God does with Jesus. Do we have some pre-Jesuses in the Old Testament? Yes. Who are they? Name some. Jacob? David? Joseph? I mean, we can go down the line. There's lots of stuff that we see that they're like pre... God gives us these, these glimpses of some of the stuff of who Jesus is going to be, but did they fulfill it all? No. How do we know that? When you get to the gospel, you realize none of these previous guys fulfilled it. The, some of these other Antichrist guys that we see fulfill some of Daniel 7, Daniel 8. They don't fulfill it all, but they really do fulfill a lot. Now, Pat... Do you consider that the already and not yet of, of prophecy? Yes, yes. I think there's... So, so yes, there is always... Guys, this is here where we have to always look at. There's always going to be the some of the things that are fulfilled in short terms. It's no doubt that... Now, okay, so let me ask you the question. Why, why would... Let me... I'm setting the question up too easy to say it this way. Why would Satan do that? Because he can't create. So what's he doing? He lies, manipulates, misdirects, uh, tries to get you to see. I would also say, sorry, I was trying to raise my hand, but he's limited to time. He doesn't know when the end will be. So he's trying to have there be Antichrist lined up because he doesn't know if the end has going to happen tomorrow, if it's going to happen in a million years. So he's trying to constantly have someone who could be the Antichrist. <clears throat> yes. And, and yes, I think that is a major, major reason. And here's part of the deal, is because Satan wants to control that outcome. He thinks he can, and that's the key. He thinks he can control the outcome, but he doesn't control the outcome. Okay? There's some great, there's some great study. If you want to study, well, you could type in um, false antichrist. Start with Alexander the Great. He's the most common one that we see in, in um, literature. I'm saying theological literature. But Antiochus Epiphanes, is this, he's right in there with him. Okay? Both of those guys fulfilled major elements of the prophecies of Daniel when it comes to the Antichrist. Major prophecies. But they, they could not fulfill all of them because it wasn't the, the, the moment. It wasn't God doing this. And so there's other elements that they just could not get accomplished, okay? And I'll go over some of those, by the way. Now, here's, here's the thing. When Jesus the rock hits this statue and smashes this statue, he destroys all four kingdoms at the same time. We know that has not happened yet. Here is my posit for the fourth kingdom, okay? And, and when we get into to Daniel 7, you'll see... Some of this stuff start popping. I'm saying this here as we look at it in Daniel 2, so you're thinking about it. Because, see, I think Daniel 7 is a, is a um, Daniel 2 sets up the information. Daniel 7 unfolds it in a deeper way. I think Daniel 7 is talking about Daniel 2. Okay? And I'll explain all that. All right? Um, I think the fourth kingdom, that legs of iron... And the way Daniel 7 says it is this, this kingdom is not like any of the others that have come before. I believe it's the Islamic kingdom. I believe it's Islam. Okay? 
And that's why also the toes and, and um, toes of iron and clay are mixed together. The, the Islamic kingdom had, had become it at one time and waned and is now uh, one of the strongest kingdoms on the planet. But we don't look at it like um, we don't look at it like a kingdom. But this is the first time that I really saw this is after 9/11, President Bush was making some speeches and he talked about he said this, he said this in the speech immediately after 9/11, which to me is one of the George Bush wasn't one of my favorite presidents, but, but this speech after 9-11 I think was one of the better ones from the floor of the house. And he called them the evil empire, kind of, kind of quoting some of the Reagan stuff of the Cold War and stuff. But he said that this enemy is no longer governments and kingdoms. They're individuals. And, and I began to think about that from the concept of governments and kingdoms the Islamic caliphate is the most powerful kingdom on the planet today. But it is so diversified. And they also fight within themselves. Right? Iraq and Iran can't even get along. Now, from, from a Western point of view, we're like, but aren't they all Muslims? That's not how they see it. They've got the Sunnis and the Shias, and they're very different. That's exactly why the that's very good insight. The first crusade was, was successful because they were all together. That was the reason. Al. Well, also that what most people don't realize right now is that Iran is doing everything they can to milk Iraq because Iran can't survive without Iraq's wealth. So they're stealing it. And Iraq yeah. is doing what they can to fight back, but they just don't have that. Yeah, Iran, Iraq and Iran have never agreed. They've never liked each other. They've been, see, so if you guys are younger, you won't remember this. But if you're my age or older, I remember in the 70s when the Shah came in and took over Iran. Iran was a very modernized, moving forward kind of country. Yeah, that's what I'm, yeah, Ayatollah Khomeini kicked the Shah out. The Shah was like the prime minister. And, and when he came in and did that, he brought Sharia law and immediately stifled Iran. Uh, it became, within a decade, it was one of the more backwards, third world type of countries in the world. And before that, you ought to do this sometime. Just as an interesting little Google search. Google um, Iran in the 1960s. You'll, you'll see cars and, and boats and beaches and, and resorts and all kinds of stuff. Iraq the same way. When Saddam came in, he, he clamped down on, on Iraq the same way. Pat? Uh, have you considered, and maybe you're going to get into this. If you are, just wave your hands and I won't go there. But the uh, mixing of the iron and the clay, being that the clay is the people and the iron is the rulers. Are you going to get there? Yeah. Well, that's where I was going right now is that the ten toes of the iron and the clay the reason that they're mixed together is because you have, um, let, me, let, me, let me say it this way. I think it'll be understood easier. You have, you have governments like Egypt and Turkey and Saudi Arabia, and you have Muslim wanderers that live in the mountains of Afghanistan. And that's the same movement of people. Now, here's the biggest thing. 
In Daniel 7 where it says, and we will get to this, but when in Daniel 7 where it says, this kingdom is not like any of the others that have come before, what makes the Islamic kingdom so much different than Babylonian, Medo-Persian, and Greek is that this one is a pure religious kingdom. Decentralized, it's not a uh, organized government, but it is one of the most powerful, most destructive kingdoms on the planet. In fact, um, uh, let me think of the name, the Battle of Tours. The Battle of Tours was in um, uh, northern Spain, uh, uh, I'm sorry, southern Spain, northern Africa, and this was in the 1400s, and, and that battle basically stopped Islam from moving into Spain, moving into Europe. Now, eventually, Spain became very Muslim. But that battle, that time frame, Islam had moved. This is the end of the Crusades, right? That, that battle had taken, the Muslims had taken over all the Middle East, all of Northern Africa, and was coming up into Europe, and then coming across, and they were stopped at um, uh, Constantinople, coming this way, which is what today? Turkey. Stopped at Turkey, stopped at Spain, or it would have moved all the way through Europe. Charlemagne was very influential in that. Now, you guys understand this is the, this is the tail end of crusade stuff that we're talking about, right? And, and so then we see where the Islam, and here's the weird thing about it. Islam was very fast-moving, very... Some of the more, um, do you realize that the, one of the biggest libraries ever in history was a Muslim library? Now, that's not how we see Islam today, right? They were the sword then, but they were also really trying to be enlightened and understand things and do stuff, but, but, but very, also very militant uh, at the same time. Now, I, I think today that the here's part of the reason the fourth kingdom that we're talking about takes us into the tribulation. According to Scripture, what is the only way, specifically the second half of the tribulation, what is the only way you can get out of the tribulation? By beheading. What group in all of history is most known for beheading? It's, it is an art form. It's Islam. And I think the fourth kingdom is Islam. Now, and, and this is what we see. When Jesus hits that statue, he's going to destroy the entire statue, all four governments, instantaneously at the same time. Now, with all that, let's go to Daniel 7. I, I, I love Daniel for a bunch of reasons. I'm not saying the book. I'm saying the man. Daniel the man, it's amazing to me how much God told one person in Scripture compared to all the other prophets. He loaded Daniel up with stuff. Yes, sir. So if the fourth kingdom destroys the other three, how does Jesus also destroy them? The, the, okay, let's, let's, I'll go back to that. The fourth kingdom, um, the fourth kingdom devastates the other three. Jesus destroys all of them. Okay, let's go back and read that. Okay, when it says, uh, verse 44, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. Jesus, Jesus is the one that destroys them completely. When we see the, uh, the other, it says, um, 
Um, where, where are we looking? Yes. Uh, verse 40, Daniel 2. Following that kingdom, there will be a fourth one as strong as iron. That kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires. Just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. Jesus, the rock, destroys it into nothingness. Okay? All right. And we have seen where, where Islam, even starting in the time of the Crusades, did exactly that. It, it invaded. And, and that's what I was saying about... Turkey stopped it and Spain stopped it, but everything else was completely destroyed. And, and in that um, Muslim area, there was, there was not those other kingdoms found there. Okay? Those kingdoms still existed, and they still exist today, but not anymore there. You've got to remember, before the Crusades, Jerusalem was really considered as much of a, of a uh, Roman city as it was a Jewish city. Not because, well, just look at the time of Jesus. The Romans were in there just as much as the Jews were. Yeah, and who, who, was the, who was the origination of the Byzantine Empire? Where did the Byzantine Empire come from? Constantine. So, so if you count then that Muslims have taken over Persia, taken over Iraq completely, and taken over the, the capital of the Greek Empire, Constantinople, which is Turkey now. So the Turkey you've got as the Greek Empire. Yes. They run the government, they run everything. That's, that's part of my argument. And you'll see where people say, well, Istanbul is Orthodox, or a very small percentage of, tic, of Turkey is, is it's Islam. It's Islam. It's Islam. So. So just, I have just one comment. I've been holding the microphone while all these guys have been talking. <laughs> Good point. Good point, Al. Yeah, yes. Uh, well, so this then would be a minor point is that the, uh, the only thing I wanted to point out is that Saudi Arabia really is Arabia. It is the only nation in the world that's known by the ruling family of that nation, which is the Saud family. So, uh, for, for whatever that was worth. Go ahead. We're actually going to get to that. That's going to be included in some information as we move on. Already yes. and not yet tells us that we may not be seeing the entire picture right now. So what we're looking at, we really can't tell. That's why... Prophecy is so cryptic yes. in nature. So, so as I start Daniel 7, that's where I wanted to talk about, okay? Well, let's just go. Daniel 12, verse 4, I believe. 12. Just hang with me for a second. You guys don't have to turn there. You can stay at Daniel 7. Daniel 12, verse 4. But you, Daniel... Now, you know, this is the end of the book of Daniel, right? Daniel's basically said everything he's going to say. The angel, Michael, the archangel, was talking to Daniel, and he says, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Now, this is a very important sentence for us. 
Seal up the book until the time of the end. When many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. I've been saying this forever because almost any time somebody uses that sentence, they only use the last half. They don't, they don't really know where it comes from. They're not thinking it's coming from Daniel. It, they're not thinking like that. They're saying many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. And this is always the way, most of the time, this is the way I hear that sentence interpreted today is, well, we'll be traveling, rushing here and there. We'll be traveling. We'll have plane flight and all that stuff, and then knowledge will increase, so therefore we have technology, we have computers, and you know, knowledge is doubling every 22 seconds or so. I don't know, it's fast nowadays. But you understand what I'm saying? But that's not what this sentence is talking about. Let's look at it again. Keep this prophecy a secret. Is Michael telling Daniel to keep it a secret forever? No. How long do you keep it a secret? Till the end. And here explains how we will begin to understand Daniel more and more. Many will rush here and there. I don't think the New Living Translation has the proper translation of that part of the sentence. I don't think it's saying rush here and there. The King James says it will be going to and fro. That's the King James translation. I think what this sentence says is... Many will be, and I'll use the to and fro visual, many will be in the Bible going to and fro, and their knowledge will begin to increase. They will study the Bible, and, and, and everybody's been studying the Bible forever. And then their knowledge will increase. Why in the, in the to and fro of Daniel 4 does their knowledge start to increase? The key is, the end times. God begins to make it revelatory, make it open to us. Dan? And it's, this is interesting. Uh, many will turn um, at the time of the end. Then many shall run to and fro, search anxiously through the book, capital B. So through. That, that's the proper translation. The Amplified says it much louder than everybody else right there. Yes, thank you. Thank you, thank you very much. Um, yes, they will begin to study the book and knowledge will increase. But the key is not just studying the book and knowledge increasing. The key is, as we get closer to the end time, God allows this to be revealed. Yes, he reveals it to us. And we understand more and more and more as we get closer to the end. Okay. So then let's jump down to verse 9. Um, this is still Michael, the archangel that is speaking. He says, Go now, Daniel, for what I have said is kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. Now, this is what I think. And by the way, as I'm saying it, I can be completely wrong about this statement. I think we're at the time of the end. And I think that's why some things are becoming known to us and understood to us in ways that didn't, didn't exist before. And I'm not just talking about um, end-time events. I'm not just talking about this stuff. Guys, there are things in Scripture that we're seeing and understanding right now that we haven't understood before. 
and, and revelation that we haven't understood. Now, a lot of it is um, in time oriented, but I, I got something for you. Let me, let me go to my notes to make sure I, I get this right. Um, when is the first time ever, when is the first time ever in history that people started thinking, teaching, and believing a um, futurist point of view? In other words, that the things of the book of Daniel are, are um, end time stuff. Where is it in my notes? Don't rush me. Okay. When is the first time? Oh, here, let me give you two things. The first time that we saw a premillennialist teaching, that means that we are before the millennial reign and that the tribulation happens before the millennial reign. Tribulation and then the millennial reign. Um, and then a futurist view of things like Daniel and Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37, 38. We're going to go over that stuff a lot over these next few weeks too. When is the first time that was ever taught? Just a guess, because you're not going to hit it on its head. Late Great Planet. Uh, um, Hal Lindsey. So 1950? Was that 60? 70s? I was a, I was a baby. Anybody think earlier than that? 1900s. 1900. Okay. Okay. Um, I saw it. Russell, did you raise your hand? These are all true things that happen. Yay. Here's the first time. And by the way, this was the first time we saw it taught that it was written down. That's how we know that it was taught. It was written down. Less than 200 years after Jesus' resurrection. A guy by the name of Hippolytus... He taught about premillennial views, futurist mentality, and specifically all through the book of Daniel. Now, here's my question. Why didn't that catch traction? Both of those. Yes. We went, we went, there was persecution, and we quickly went into the dark ages. The church began to shut all this stuff down. Not just that. That was, a, that was a small thing. But begin to shut all things down, including the most important thing, which is reading the Bible. We didn't read the Bible. We listened to priests teach us stuff, which is, which is my argument constantly, guys, all the time. Don't ever just take something because somebody says it. I'm saying guys like me, preachers, guys online, all this stuff. Don't just take something because somebody preaches it or teaches it or writes a book about it. Study it. 
Study it for yourself. It's oh. Satan at work. It's uh, ignorance shall, um, as far as he's concerned, ignorance wins. I, I believe that. But, now, here's the thing. I just told you that I think the legs of iron are the Islamic kingdom. You may read through Daniel and come up with, no, it's the Roman Empire, and you stay with the Roman Empire. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? Because here's the part we don't totally understand yet. It hasn't all finished. See, here's, the, here's why I said the problem I have with people saying Daniel 2 has already been completely fulfilled, you know, when Jesus came. Jesus, but Jesus, when he came to this earth, didn't destroy all those kingdoms. So to me, Daniel 2 is not done. So keep an open mind that maybe it's not tied up yet with the Roman Empire. Maybe there's more. Russell? I think there's a lot of times uh, the Scripture has dual fulfillments. And sometimes it, there's a start and a stop, just like the, uh, the weeks in Daniel's that he talks about the 30, 335 days, the 1,299 days, and, and all that. I think there could be dual fulfillments. And I always thought that Daniel 2, there was a start and then a stop. And, uh, but it could have dual meanings. That's how I uh, look at prophecy. Yeah, and that's what um, uh, Pat's talking about with the now but not yet kind of thing. Um, for example, the easiest way to, to look at the book of Revelation, the first three chapters are to churches that do not exist anymore. They haven't existed in a couple thousand years. But the basis of those churches, and some of those cities still exist, and the church there still exists, it's just not the same church. So does that mean because those those um, seven churches were written to them that the rest of the book was only written for them? No, it was written for them too. And that's where sometimes you have to discuss this with people that study Revelation. Revelation wasn't written for just the people 2,000 years later. It was also written for those seven churches. So there's always this, what is happening now? And some of this stuff is fulfilled now. And then also the eschatological, which God has this amazing way to jump ahead Thousands of years in one sentence while he's talking to somebody right then about them. He can do both of them. The, 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 the simplest example we see is in, in Genesis 3, where he's talking about Satan, but he's talking about Jesus. He is prophesying about Jesus within moments after Adam and Eve have sinned because the story is already written. It's the story of Jesus in Genesis 3. And we see it fulfilled. So, so does that mean when we get to Jesus, the story is over? No, because the story of Jesus is transcendent too. That's why this rock that hits the statue, guys, that part hadn't happened yet. Has the rock landed? Yes, that's Jesus. But did it destroy all the kingdoms? No, because that part hasn't been fulfilled yet. And we'll see that, Pat. Uh, since you're in Daniel 12, I'd like to mention something. Uh, in verse 7, the last part of it, you know, we always say, you know, the book of Daniel doesn't tell us when the end will come. But I think this is real interesting when it says it will go on for a time, times, and talks about times, times and a half time. But what's important there is when the shattering of the holy people has finally come to an end, these things will happen. I think that's talking about the great... the, the Great Commission. And I, when God's going to know when that's no longer effective, that the world's so evil that it's not effective. Just like he knew uh, when the floods came uh, with Noah and the ark, and he said, I'm done, 
and it was over. Yeah. I think Daniel's telling us there that that's when, uh, when the Great Commission's of no, no longer of effect, God's going to know, and only God will know. Jesus yeah. doesn't know, and it's going to be over. It's going to be over once. Yeah. Just like the flood. There is there is a moment, and you're and you're kind of getting into some others. I don't want to jump. Okay, okay. So let me let me say this part because Pat Pat's on Pat's on this. I don't want to. So no, it's not speechless. It's it's that if I say this, then we're we're gonna like move through Daniel seven like that, and we need to go through it systematically. Okay, so let me ask this question: When when does Jesus destroy all of those um, other? Uh, uh, kingdoms. That doesn't that doesn't destroy it because we've seen this for two thousand years. I'm preaching the gospel now, and Babylon, Persia still exists. Yes. Yes, we, we do have power over it, but those kingdoms still exist. At the, end of the, tribulation. the end of the tribulation, when when God is done and he takes us into the millennial reign. In the millennial reign, there's one kingdom. And that kingdom has destroyed all of the other kingdoms. And it happens instantaneously. Kingdom Babylon, Kingdom Medo-Persia, the Greek Empire, and the Islamic Empire will be destroyed instantaneously. I keep hearing people talk about the battle of Gog and Magog like this is the destruction of the uh, Islamic Caliphate. It is not the destruction of the Islamic Caliphate. Russia does invade Israel and he has a lot of Muslim countries with him but Islam is not destroyed. That's who's beheading people in the tribulation? The Muslims. They're not the battle of Gog and Magog happens before the tribulation. That is, they are not destroyed then. Many of those Islamic countries, their, their uh, armies are destroyed. We don't know how much of the country, but we know their armies are destroyed. Okay? I'm all over the place tonight. We will get to that. There is a lot there. This was my idea. <laughs> okay. All right. You know, let, uh, let, me th- let me throw something out here to you about Daniel. I think it's pretty interesting. Um, what language is Daniel written in? Yes. Both. The first few verses, I think it's verses 1 through 4 of Daniel, are written in Hebrew. Up until the end of chapter 7 is written in Aramaic. Chapter 8 through the end is in Hebrew. Again, yes. You know where we you know where we learned that mostly? Dead Sea Scrolls. They showed us that. So here's the question. Why? We don't have a definite answer, but I have an idea. Why? Why is all why is that chunk in Aramaic, but the rest is in Hebrew? It's not because those are the only copies. I think that's originally how it was written. Yes, sir. What did you say, Al? <laughs> it says to me that he is writing this for the benefit of the Hebrews, for the Israelis, for the Jews. 
Uh, now, this is the history of, of uh, Babylon, or not Babylon, but the, uh, the political empires of the world. But part of this is written for the world, but part of it is written primarily for the Israelis, for the Jews. Um, <clears throat> say that again. It's who, it's who he was interacting with, but I also say, think there are some biblical reasons, I mean, some theological reasons for this. One is, it's interesting that all of the, um, all of the stuff up to chapter 7 is dealing with the, the kingdoms and all of the stuff of the king. When we get to Daniel 7, it's like the whole book shifts. And now we start talking about, it's before it's almost all right then with some not yet, like Daniel 2 is not finished, in my opinion, hasn't been fulfilled. Daniel 7, we jump into, now this is most of the, some of the now, but most of the not yet, okay? And I'll give you an interesting thing here, um, because we don't have time, I'll just jump on this, and then we'll come back to all of the other stuff in Daniel 7, starting verse by verse. Um, okay, let's go down to verse 13. By the way, why? what is the main theme of Daniel? Hope in what? Jesus. Hope in Jesus. And you know, we miss that sometimes when we read. What is the point of the book of Revelation? Jesus Christ. It's hope in Jesus. It's not, we like to get caught up in this stuff. Look at this. I think I can get this done. So verse 13, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one, was led into his presence. He was given a Authority, honor, sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race, nation, and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. I will go in more detail about this later, but I just want to hit this right now. This is talking about Jesus. The, here's some of the reasons we know. The Son of Man, coming in the clouds of heaven, comes into the presence of God, given all authority over every person ever to live on the planet. There's only one person that that can be. Right? But let me... Did somebody take the microphone? Yeah. Pat? Go ahead. So, so here's something that... Looking up... And Pat is the one who made me start looking this up. Thanks, Pat. You started. The Son of Man is a title in the New Testament used for Jesus more than any other title. All by Jesus himself. Almost any other title was less than half. Okay? Um, Jesus uses the term son of man. Now, I want to show you something. Let's go to Matthew 26. Okay? Verse, uh, let's start in verse... 62. The high priest stood up and said to Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? And the, and the charges were, you know, did you, 
um, uh, said you were God and you were going to destroy the temple, all this stuff. What do you have to say for yourself? Verse 63, but Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus does not use the term Messiah or Son of God in his answer. Jesus replied, you have said it, and in the future you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of honor at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Which, by the way, is the same statement that Stephen used when they were about to stone him. They were getting mad at Stephen, mad at Stephen, all this other stuff. But when he said, he looked, the heavens opened, he looked up and he said, I see who? I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God the Father. He's quoting Jesus. Who's Jesus quoting here? Daniel. Pat? Scott sent me on a word search for Son of Man in Daniel. And I went through all of my translations that I depended on, 12 of them. The majority of them had son with a small s and man with a small m. I thought, how weird was that? Why didn't they all say son of man with son capitalized and man capitalized? Because there's only one son of man. That's Jesus Christ. Right. As I prayed about that and thought about that, I came to the conclusion that when Daniel was written, there was so much that wasn't fulfilled in the future. He was giving us a cryptic message that Christ was going to be born of woman and reminding us that it was going to be the son of man was going to be fully human and fully God. And it's cryptic in nature. And that's a perfect example of why revelation is cryptic. And we need to look at it cryptically. And we need to look back into the Old Testament yeah. See where the references come from. So. I'll, give you, I'll give you the meat of this. There's many times in the Old Testament when the term son of man is used, but it's not about um, uh, God. It's about a son of a person. Okay, Ezekiel has that. Zechariah has that. But it's interesting because in the Hebrew, you would translate son of man basically like... Um, the, word, the name Adam is in there, Ben Adam. It's, I'm not saying it properly in Hebrew, but that's basically what it would be. Son of Adam, son of man. Adam is man. It's interesting that in Daniel 7 here, it is an Aramaic word, and it's not son of Adam. It's a deity, son of man in a God sense. It's only used one place in the Old Testament. It's right here. Son of deity. When Jesus, now let's go back here. They said, are you Messiah, the son of God? And he said, you have said it. In the future, you will see the son of man. He uses the exact same Aramaic term that Daniel uses in Daniel. Nobody else has ever used that term except Jesus. The next sentence, the next sentence, verse 65. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror 
at, at what was said, and he said, blasphemy, why do you need other witnesses? You have heard this. Because Jesus, when he quotes the Aramaic of Daniel, Jesus is not saying, see, this would be the argument where some people would say, well, son of man means human. Just means a, a human person. And so Jesus wasn't claiming to be God. And, um, I, I'll probably show this to you guys Sunday. I, um, for a few years, I sat with a, um, a Muslim cleric here in Colorado Springs about uh, once every month or two. And he and I would sit for two or three hours at a time. He's writing a book. He was in his 70s writing a book. And, he, and a couple of years, about three years ago, he moved back to um, Pakistan. A couple of weeks ago, his son, who lives here in Colorado Springs, called me up and said, Dad's finished with the book. The point of the book was, he calls it the evolution of, of Revelation or something like that. But he said, the point of the book was, he's going to compare religions all over the world. And he wanted me to be the Christian voice of this. That was not what the book is. <laughs> the book is, Islam is really the only true religion, and he proved, tries to prove that through all these other things. And I am the Christian voice. I thought there was going to be other people. Do I am the only non-Islam voice in this whole book. Now, he quotes me through the whole book. I mean, literally through the entire book. And he quotes me properly with the sentence. But what he does is he takes a two-hour conversation we have, and he'll put one sentence in there and say, Dr. Bottoms said this. And then he spends like four pages saying how Dr. Bottoms doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> But here's the thing is I learned so much. I did this for like three plus years. I learned so much about Islam by talking to this 70 plus year old cleric and all these different things. And one of the things that is very strong within Islam is that Jesus never declared himself to be God. Paul said that later. And one of the things that they say here is, that Muslims will say, is Jesus always called himself the son of man. Paul changed that into a deity phrase. Except that when Jesus says this right here, he's quoting Daniel 7. Which does two things. It shows us how to properly translate, like Pat was saying, that was hidden to them at the time. Once Jesus quotes it, we know how to translate that in Daniel 7. But it also shows us Jesus was declaring himself to be God in an un... Um, uh, in, a, in, a, in such a strong way, you really can't argue it. Because it's the only, phrase, only time in the Old Testament that that Aramaic phrase was used. And Daniel quotes that one. Why don't he quote something else? He quotes that one. And this is one of the things that I talked to the Muslim cleric about. And he said, no, I don't agree with that. I'm like, okay. what do I do then? I mean, I was very respectful to this man for the years that we met together. Very respectful to him. He is an elder of mine. You say, yeah, but he's a Muslim, but he's an elder. And he is in the Muslim faith, a, a man of God, a cleric, a, a Muslim teacher. I'm going to respect that. I, I disagreed with everything he said. And he knew that. We would discuss it, as he says in the book, Dr. Bottoms discussed this very strongly with me sometimes. But he always respected me. He wrote that in the book. Pat. Paul takes a lot of criticism from critics on how he wrote the book of Romans. When you understand that Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, knew the Old Testament better than anybody in this room does, and he was living in a time when many claimed to be the Messiah, that's what incented him to kill the Christians. 
because he thought they were false. Yeah. What changed his life was an experience with Jesus Christ. So now he's writing the book of Romans. He's taking the Old Testament references, speaking to his Jewish brothers, convincing them that this Christ, Jesus Christ, is the Messiah. Yeah. And when you understand that, and you look at what Paul's saying, it makes a whole lot more sense. And, and he's bringing some of the context properly of these Old Testament scriptures that were being misused by the, by the Pharisees and Sadducees. They'd been misused by the Levites and other people for a long time. And Paul is saying, no, this is how you're supposed to look at this. That, that's why you've heard me talk about this with Isaiah chapter 9 where it talks about um, the prophecy of, of Mary being a virgin. And in the Old Testament, it could be translated young lady. And so the, some translation, I don't remember which one it was, came out 25, 30 years ago. And it said young lady. Well, then what it did is it jumped forward into the New Testament in Luke and said that that meant, because he was quoting Isaiah, that that meant young lady. Except when Luke quotes it, he is showing you how to quote Isaiah. They were, it was ambiguous in Isaiah when Luke says... Well, when Mary says, I've never been with a man, how can I have a baby? Well, that tells you how to quote that out of Isaiah, right? There's not a confusion there. And so, so that's the same thing Jesus is doing. It was ambiguous in Daniel 7. When Jesus quotes it in, in Matthew, it's very clear what he's saying. There's no doubt whatsoever what he's saying at that point, right? Don't you know that there were that there were very scholar learned people that were standing around there that when Jesus said that, that one sentence changed their thinking. Just by him quoting that. Now we see where the high priest, he doesn't change his thinking. But who could possibly have been one of the people standing there that this might have started changing their thinking? Paul, would, Paul wouldn't have been there then. You know his name, you just hadn't... Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a, he was thinking it. We know he was processing it, but we don't see in John 3 where he makes the decision. We just know he's thinking about it. What if this would have been the moment when he goes, you know what? He nailed it. Right? The, the equivalent of a New Testament mic drop. Jesus just says, son of man, boom, walks away and they're like, Yeah. Yeah, we're, I told you we're not, we're not going to rush that. We don't have time for that tonight. No, we don't. <laughs> the clouds are important, but we will not talk about that tonight. We will not talk about that. Okay, so, so we, we really got into Daniel 7 really good tonight. I'm glad about that. We didn't, we didn't actually read any of the verses, but... Um, so, so how should we be praying when we're reading stuff like this? How do we pray? Okay. Now, I think you have to balance that. I think there is a trap in um, American uh, church thinking, specifically in eschatological thinking, that we're going to be the person that, that cracks open the mystic sentence or something. Okay, I know as we get closer to the end, those things will begin to happen more and more. But I think it's going to be a very much of a group effort, and we're going to have little incremental by incremental stuff. 
So my thinking is that the more that we understand about that, the more God reveals to us about himself, and that's really what I want. I want the revelation of him to me so that I can see more and more of him. And, and to me, that's really how we pray. I, I do pray, God, show me something. Show me this stuff. I don't, I, I want to know. I'm, I'm a student. I want to know. But that doesn't drive me. That's not, that's not my driving passion. My driving passion is when Jesus says, I am the son of man, I want to be all in with that guy. That's what I want. That, that Jesus, you're the king. You're the eternal one. Jesus, Jesus was the one revealing this stuff to Daniel in Daniel about himself. And he quotes himself later in the Gospels. And then he quotes himself again in Revelation. That's, that's kind of cool. I don't care who you are. None of us can do that. Right, Al? Well, yes. yeah. But, but all of this is to bring us to what I am looking for, which is to that moment when we have become what no eye has seen yet, what no ear has heard, and what no imagination has been able to imagine that God has in store for us. Yeah, and that's the moment I'm waiting for. Yeah, all of the stuff. I, 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 I need to stop talking. Um, yeah. So here's my thinking, and you can have different, you can have different um, versions of this. But when I when I pray about this kind of stuff, when I'm reading this stuff, and it always just brings me back. Jesus, you are so big. Show me you. I believe that's going to be how we understand all the other stuff is the more we see Jesus, we'll see him in his word. We'll see this more clearly. We'll see this more clearly. We need to see Jesus, not, not just the stuff of the Bible. Yes, sir. When are we going to do Daniel 9? Um, after we finish Daniel 8. <laughs> or or yeah. Probably October-ish. <laughs> or when you're praying... Um, I know what I pray is, I, Lord, make me more like you. And the more I'm like you in the mundane things in life, the simple things, we, 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 we get caught in our high, and we don't get down in the valley. See, we've been on the Mount of Transfiguration, then we've got to go back down here. And down here is where you're going to be the hands and feet. And I think I've grown more from everyday little things that seem innocuous and yeah. un insignificant. I find you see Jesus working through you. That's powerful. I, I, that's what I pray for. Yeah, and, and th so this is, how, this is how I want us to pray. I, I had that conversation with somebody today. I really think that Jesus is much more strategic and intentional in our life than we think. You realize he's trying to do stuff with you all day long? He's trying to show you himself? Understanding Daniel is a cool thing, and, but having somebody know who Jesus is is way better. Way bigger. Like you can do both. But I, I really think we go through the routine of life too much. And Jesus is saying, I've got such big stuff. Just, just let go and let me be in charge. Let me be in charge. We're going to talk about that Sunday, how the Holy Spirit empowers us. And we're just going to pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit Sunday. Why? Because, guys, without that, we're kind of spinning our wheels. Let's, let's let the Holy Spirit just in our life. And he'll show us all kinds of stuff.
Stuff about today, stuff about Daniel, stuff about your life, stuff about your children, stuff about whatever, God's will in your life, all these other things. Let the Holy Spirit be in charge, and that's, that's where we need to go. I'm not, I, when you guys move, I can only see movement. I don't see people. The, uh, the only, only reference material God gives us so we can determine it's really the Holy Spirit that's speaking to us yeah. is the Bible. So we need to know the Bible. And if we get a message that we think's from the Holy Spirit and it's not in the Bible, I wonder who's talking to you. Well, the Bible says it's not, it's not the Holy Spirit talking Amen. to you. Amen. <laughs> the Bible is the foundation, Al. Last person. No more after Al. No, I'm going to say last, last words. I, <laughs> I always. So, so the, way, the way he teaches, and the only way he can teach is, the more you know, the more he can take from, because he takes uh, here a little, there a little, precept upon precept, yeah. um, and uh, until we come to the knowledge of God, and that's how he does it. It's just, um, you don't know what it's going to come from. You don't know something you read 10 years ago all of a sudden is freshened yeah, in your sure. mind uh, to have a, a, a life that it didn't have before. So, yeah. So what, that's why it's always worked for me. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for just you being you, Lord. And God, you've given us your word. I'm so overwhelmed and amazed by your word and the fact that you gave it to us, that you, that you really did give us a manual for this life. You gave us a manual for pretty much anything we're going to go through. Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for, for loving us that much. And uh, Lord, I also enjoy the fact that you did make it cryptic and we have to get in there and study it. Lord, you're, 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 just, you're just really cool that way. And God, we're amazed by you. So help us to get in there. Not to just unpack a bunch of puzzles, but Lord, to know you. To get in and know you and to hear you and to see you. Lord, we thank you for this. So reveal your word to us, but reveal it to us for right now today. And as you're revealing stuff like Daniel, Lord, you're showing us who you are right now in our life today. And God, we need that. We need you today. We thank you for this. Fill us with your spirit. Consume us with you, Lord God. God, give us a, um, a good uh, Seder dinner next Wednesday. Give us a great revelation of you through all of that. And uh, Lord, also we ask you to fill this place up Monday night with the, with the uh, documentary we're going to show. And God, speak to us through that. Lord, you've got so much that you're doing with us right now. And Lord, we do continue to pray for our land. Have your way with this. Have your way, what, you, what, what your will is. God, we submit everything to you. Our life, our mind, our hearts, our thoughts. We submit it all to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Now you have to drive faster going home.